I'm Cassidy Hall. I am Kevin Johnson. I'm Carl McCollman, and we are Encountering Silence. Encountering Silence is made possible by listeners like you. Please visit www.patreon.com slash encountering silence. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash encountering silence. To learn how you can be part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all-too-noisy world. Sometimes, to encounter silence, we must travel outside the recording studio to hear its rhythms and participate with it. When we do, we bring our basic recording devices to keep a record of that engagement resulting in field recordings. These recordings all may vary in participants and context, but that's the beauty of allowing silence to surprise us time and time again. This week's field recording features Carl McCollman with Brother Elias Marischal at the Monastery of the Holy Spirit in Conyers, Georgia. Brother Elias is the author of Tears of an Innocent God, a book that Thomas Keating describes as valuable and full of wisdom, drawn from the author's remarkable experience of East and West. As a cloistered Trappist monk, Brother Elias rarely leaves the monastery, but Carl sat down with him at the monastery guesthouse in November of 2017 to record this conversation. Today I am at the Monastery of the Holy Spirit in Conyers, Georgia, with my dear friend, Brother Elias Marischal, who is a Trappist monk. He is an author. He wrote a book called Tears of an Innocent God. And he is a practitioner of contemplative prayer. Brother Elias, thank you for being willing to talk to me today about silence and about the life of faith. How are you? Oh, fine, thank you. It's a, it's a privilege to be with you, Carl, and with you, the people who are be, gonna be listening to this podcast. God bless you. So the, the theme of the podcast is encountering silence. And maybe to get into the story of the podcast, I'm wondering if you would briefly tell the story of your encounter with silence at the grotto at Notre Dame. Oh, my goodness. I didn't expect him to ask me this one. (laughs) I didn't coach you ahead of time, did I? (laughs) I sure didn't. Well, I imagine some of you listening must have been at the University of Notre Dame. Uh, This story has to do when with when I was a freshman at Notre Dame and attending a talk of introduction to the university. And this Holy Cross Father said, it would be very important for all of you to visit the grotto. And somebody raised his hand and said, what is a grotto? He said, well, that's a uh, replica, replica of the grotto in Lourdes. So somebody rose their hand and said, well, where, what do you mean by Lourdes? He said, well, that's where a lot of miracles happen. And you never know 
if you go there, a miracle just might happen. Of course, the more cynical people sneered, but some of us took it seriously, including myself. And uh, about a week, no, two weeks later, I decided, well, let me go see the grotto before things get started. And so I thought to myself, I'm gonna wait until dusk because we are flooded with tourists on the University of Notre Dame campus. So I imagine all of them have cleared out of the grotto. So when uh, nightfall came and uh, silence was very deep and pervasive, I walked through woods to Notre Dame, uh, through uh, St. Mary's Lake, and across from the lake was the grotto. So I walked in and found nobody, nobody, except the left tackle of the Notre Dame football team. So I was very surprised by that and something lured me to his presence. So very quietly, I tiptoed almost to the uh, kneeler next to his. He and knelt down and he had his eyes closed and was very, very deep in prayer, very deep. And I didn't disturb him. He didn't open his eyes or anything. But uh, magnetism, a prayerful magnetism of this man, we shall never forget. So I was kneeling there praying in the usual way when all of a sudden it seemed as though if I wanted to talk, I could not. In other words, my tongue was very heavy, heavy. And at the same time, the intellect receded. I wasn't thinking about anything. And then the next step was, it was as though I was uh, dropped into infinity, literally. And I stayed there for at least 15 minutes. And then when I came out, it seemed like it had been no minutes, no seconds, nothing. And I had a very deep sense of peace, of everything is right, of silence in its deepest sense. And that really was one of the stepping stones to what came later in my life. And I, I just am very grateful for that moment. And what I experienced was what we call infused contemplation. Now, infused contemplation means that God intervenes in a person's life without his preparing for it at all. It's what we call in Louisiana, alanyap. L-A-G-N-I-A-P-P-E, which is a most welcome but unexpected gift. So the Lord did this just out of the blue, and this, this experience happened. I, but I didn't tell anybody at the university, and uh, just kept it to myself, and went into the seminary, and in the seminary I had a number of these experiences, and then when I went to the monastery, uh, the experiences followed me.
Now, that's one kind of contemplation. And the other kind is what we call acquired contemplation, which means that you can go to adoration, let's say, and be very quiet and still and prepare yourself to meet God. And then slowly you move, edge into silence and you rest in peace. That is what we call acquired contemplation. Neither is better than the other. So. Wonderful. And you were telling me before we started the recording that you've been a monk now 25 years? Is 25. That right? 25 years. Yeah, Silver Jubilee. Well, coming up. That's wonderful. You know, congratulations. I don't know if it's appropriate to congratulate. Oh, monk, no. Congratulations. Well, I'll tell you one thing, and I'm so grateful that I came into this monastery. I thought I was virtuous when I was outside. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's really. But my God, when I came in here and started looking back on what I was like, I said, Good Lord, thank you for bringing me here. And it was tough. It was really tough. In the ancient times, it, they referred to the furnace of Babylon. And what that means is intense purification. And the immediate goal of the monastic life is what we call purity of heart, which means purification of the heart. The heart meaning the internal center, not, not the beating heart, but the center of our, our existence inside. And there are so many impurities there, so much vestiges of selfishness or uh, ambition or anything like jealousy and so on and so forth, from our earliest days on. So it's very important that these be emptied out. So it was kind of a, a kenosis for 25 years. Could you explain for, uh, if a listener doesn't know the word kenosis, could you explain yes. that? Yeah, it means emptying out. It mm -hmm. uh, appears in one of the letters of St. Paul. But it means emptying out, and that's exactly what happens as we're on this, what I call the uh, journey through the land of likeness. Mm -hmm. Isaac of Stella was 12th century Cistercian monk, as I am, and he came up with the whole idea or concept of the land of likeness and the land of unlikeness. The land of unlikeness is the state of being in which one has not awakened to the image of God within us. But God instills in us this image along with a impulse or a strong drive to have the image unfold into likeness. Now, if somebody has not awakened to the divine image and doesn't know about it, he has all of this incredible divine energy. And if he doesn't know about the image, then he can channel that into ambition and any other thing such as that, uh, going up the corporate ladder and so forth. And that's because that would be probably what would be called normal, normal behavior in a culture in which the basic paradigm is my value and even my identity depend on what I do and what other people think of me. And so on the basis of that, let's say we're talking about silence and 
people who adhere to that see no value in silence. It's not productive. And so some people really have a lot of trouble with that because of that. But this, this whole idea of I am what I do goes way, way back in history. And it's just a learned uh, experience, or we could say a social consensus that just dominates and passes from one generation to another through history. So the life of a monk is in many ways countercultural. Oh, absolutely. To that, um, that kind of the, the, the life based on, on, on power or on esteem or you know, what others think of, of you, as you mentioned. So um, when you entered into the monastery, I'm assuming that you found it to be, at least relative to the external culture, to be a place of silence. Well... Don't tell too much on your brothers. <laughs> well, I have to be careful here. Uh, but you know, my, my journey began long before I entered the monastery. Okay. And it began, my goodness, first of all, I drowned when I was 10 caught by a riptide. Do you, do you want to speak to that for a few minutes? Tell just that a minute, story. Just okay. a minute. Because it was so significant. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was dragged down once, second time, and I knew the third time I'd never come up. And so I ended up on the, on the floor of this water. And the most powerful silence, the most powerful peacefulness, just, uh, just, it pervaded me. Oh, that's all I can say. It pervaded me. And uh, when I came, when I don't remember anything after that except uh, being in the other world, and that'd be taking too much time. Although I will say this much: that it is true that there is silence in heaven, because to communicate with one another, one transfers thoughts to another and the other transfers thoughts to you. And this includes God. It's very, very interesting. So that is, uh, silence is, is all pervading in, in the heavenly kingdom. Now, I don't know that I've ever asked you this in the, you know, and I was thinking about this when I was walking up from the parking lot. You know, I think I, I met you 12 years ago because next week will be 12 years since I started working oh. at the monastery. Mm-hmm. It's amazing, but I don't think I've ever asked you this. I've heard the story about your, your, you know, near-death experience with the, the water mm-hmm. when you were a boy. Yeah. But I never asked you where that happened. Well, Bitterford, Maine. So in Maine, okay. During so a, a summer vacation, mm-hmm. and uh, now my sister insists that I didn't die mm-hmm. because my family has a phobia of death. <laughs> As soon as you die in the morning, you go into the grave in the afternoon. So I called her not long ago. I'd never asked her this question. I said, uh, do you remember the time on the beach? And she's usually very calm, always calm and collected and everything. All of a sudden she says, you didn't die. She's yelled into the mic. You didn't die. You were having trouble. I said, oh, okay, okay. Okay, God bless you. And I hung up. But uh, that confirmed it for me. 
they confirmed it for me. But certainly, regardless of what anybody can say about your heart rate or your brain waves mm-hmm. or whatever, you certainly had this this profound encounter. Yes. With that deep silence, that yeah. heavenly silence. Yes, absolutely. And, um, so, so that that that's that's beautiful. And then obviously, um, the the moment at the grotto as well. Do you um are you comfortable talking a little bit about your experience with meditation, your experience with tea? Yeah, but, uh, unless all the we hear click 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 at this point, turning it off. You mentioned meditation. <laughs> Because it's uh, it's an Eastern. Uh, I think some form. of our our listeners will be comfortable. Well, it was called transcendental meditation. Any of you ever do that? <laughs> you people out there, it was very popular in the sixties and the seventies. But, boy, basically, it has to do with. Uh, it's so hard to describe, but gradual, gradual increase of silence in, in the sense that we were given a mantra which is a word in Sanskrit and we allow it to uh, get more subtle we allow it to it, it does this on its own and it gets softer and quieter and so like for example if your mantra is mantra is it mantra 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 And that was called pure, pure consciousness. And that was a fantastic building block for my life of silence. It was very, very powerful. If we went into a thought, then we came back to the mantra. And, we, and I became a, so enamored of the whole thing that I went to the island of Mallorca off the coast of Spain and for six months, uh, we met with our guru, and he gave us instructions, but most of the time was spent in our rooms in silence and doing the practice all day long for six months. You can imagine that was quite an introduction to silence. Yeah, really. Uh, it was not easy when our uh, when we met with our guru, he said, uh, "This you think you're you're going to be in bliss all the time, but I have another thought putting into your head, and it's not going to be that. It's going to be very rough at times, very difficult, very stressful." And the, I had a young German woman, a girl next to me. She says, "What does he mean? Stress and all of this? I thought this was going to be sublime and easy and effortless." I said, "It is, but listen to the man." So it was in the sense we're you know purification, and all of you in the in the who are listening here have an experience of different uh, obstacles in your life that you've had to deal with and so forth and so on. All of this came out in our meditation. So it's a purification. It was a small version of the furnace of Babylon. Interesting. So would you say that's almost a universal spiritual principle, that to really enter into silence, part of the job, so to speak, is that we have to surrender anything within us 
that gets in the way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I could put it this way. The image of God contains all of God's qualities and characteristics. The first one is silence. Second, kindness. The third, compassion. Then listening with deep respect, even to someone with an opposite view, and so forth. And the whole idea is that you're in this land of unlikeness, and then you wake up in some way to the image of God. And you begin this journey led by the Spirit through the land of likeness in which, as you go along, all of the various characteristics of God begin to unfold. It's not that you're adding anything. You're subtracting something. Eckhart Tolle, uh, modern writer, or I think even Eckhart himself said that uh, uh, prayer, spirituality, is not a question of addition, but of subtraction. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not that we're adding anything. We've got everything that we need on the inside. It's just a question of allowing it to unfold in a simple, easy, and effortless way. Didn't the early Cistercian um, teachers, didn't they compare the image of God to a mirror, and it's like the mirror has been gutted over, you know, that yeah. uh, there's grime and grease yeah, yeah. and so forth. And so kind of following that analogy that you just used, that it's not like we have to install the mirror. The mirror's already there. That's right, that's so right. we have to get out a little bit of soap and water <laughs> and, and clean the mirror, and that's this purification, this, 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 this inner furnace you're talking about. Without, with the exception being that I'm not cleaning the mirror, the spirit in me is clean. So, so really... And, and I'm lending in my hand. We present the mirror to God That's in right. God's love and compassion. We, it's a cooperation with the Spirit from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, Spirit comes from the Latin spiritus, which, which means Spirit. And so I believe that at the moment of conception, we, get, we begin to breathe spirare with the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And we're at one with Him, and He carries us through to the unfolding of the image of likeness, into the likeness of God's image. Beautiful. So, let's talk a little bit more about breath there, since you, you talked about breathing the Spirit. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the role that, that breath plays when we pray, when we seek to be present in the silence of God? Well, silence, uh, I'm sorry, the, the breath, use of the breath, beginning in the fourth century with what we call the, the desert fathers and desert mothers, which are first monks and nuns of Christianity. Um, this link of the breath with prayer uh, was, was a, uh, that was the beginning. And then through all generations of um, monasticism, this use of the breath has, has endured generation to generation to generation. The thing about the breath is it's, it's part of the body. And so we incarnate our prayer. So the breath comes in, breath goes out, and it's a natural flow. We don't control it. We just allow it to come in and to go out. And 
what I see this as is a very deep prayer in the sense that God gives us a breath on the inhalation and on the exhalation we give this breath back to God as our own gift. It's very beautiful. So if you keep doing this, well, of course, what I'm talking about is the Jesus prayer. You, you take the name of Jesus and it's incredible power and whisper, half whisper it at a very subtle level. So when you breathe in, it's Jesus. And then you let go and then you come in again, Jesus, you let go. And what you're letting go into is the abyss of, of the kindness and compassion of the Father within us. Enormous spaciousness of that. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in the silence. In practicing that kind of Jesus breath prayer that really trains us to literally pray without ceasing, right. doesn't it? Exactly. Because we, we may not mm -hmm. be consciously thinking of Jesus all the mm -hmm. time, but we are breathing all the time. Right. And learning to be mindful right. with, with our body's holding of that breath mm -hmm. is itself prayer. Exactly. And the thing is, you, if you keep with this as a practice, say 20 minutes morning and evening, over months and years, more and more, the breath-breathing process ceases to be physiological rather than spiritual. So the breath is then considered God's breath, you see. And so you breathe all the time, and as you breathe all the time, you're breathing this divinity, as Carl just mentioned. And so that is unceasing prayer, really. But the thing is, as you go along in this long journey through the land of likeness, silence increases at every turn, every movement ahead, every settling down by the road. And so it builds up one minute or one session of prayer after another. And there reaches a point where the silence becomes so powerful that it's there all the time with you, along with the breath. And that's a very powerful combination for oneness with God. Now we're talking now about non-duality and the, in the midst of duality, as it were. But I'm not going to go into that. That's just a little bit too much. <laughs> we'll save that for the next yeah, we'll the next, the next episode. So you, that um, means that you, you chime in here when I have a podcast 10 weeks from now, and I'll talk to you about that. <laughs> when you have your own? Oh, you're going to start your own podcast. Of course. Okay. You gave me an idea. I think, I think Elias and I are friendly rivals. <laughs> oh. oh, my goodness gracious. Well, he says that. I'm not a rival. <laughs> you know, no, of course no. Not. We don't believe in competition um, here. 
Um, I'm, I, you know, I'm just teasing you. Of course. The um, something. Well, f- well. First of all, that what you just said was just really beautiful and really sublime, and I want to thank you so much because certainly it's been my experience as a practitioner of silent prayer. Mm-hmm. You know, over over time. You know, because I think I I've had the experience that many people have is. You know, I was taught how to do centering prayer, and I learned about using a prayer word, and I learned about, you know, bringing my attention back to the prayer word every time a thought distracts me. And then I sit down and try it for 20 minutes, and I realize I'm just a mess. You know, my mm. thoughts, I love what Martin Laird says, the cocktail party. You know, cocktail my, party. My, my thoughts are a cocktail party. <laughs> my, my um, you know, I, yeah. I, I had a student one time, we were talking about that, we were talking about the Buddhist notion of the monkey you know, oh, yeah. the mind monkey. Yeah, yeah. And and she said, well, my mind is like a cocktail party with a monkey running around in the middle of it. <laughs> and I thought, that maybe is all of That's us. That's good. But, but That's one good. of the things that I think has been beautiful for me over time mm-hmm. is not only kind of the gradual settling of, of, of my own inner cocktail party, and it, it still flares up, you know, with alarming frequency, but, but at least I get these glimpses mm-hmm of this, just this beautiful, luminous silence. Yes. And, but I think I've also come to recognize, and I think you've helped me out with this a lot, is that the silence is always there. And always there. The silence. All, from the time we're born, it's there, because it's in the image of God. Mm-hmm. And, and so, the, you know, back to that, that, that idea of, of that contemplation is not about adding something, but mm-hmm. just about letting go. That's right. That's you know, it's right. like letting go of that chatter. And the chatter might even still be kind of humming away in the background, kind of like the fan is humming in the background now. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but the reality is, is that there is, um, the silence is always there. It's between our thoughts always. and beneath our thoughts. Always. And it seems that the prayer practice, whether it's um, I'm tending to my breath or I'm tending to a prayer word or the Jesus prayer or whatever it might be, you know, walking a labyrinth, any of these, these contemplative practices are all intended to just help me to remember, to re-notice yeah. what is always already there anyways. That's beautiful, beautiful. And I would say... Uh, what you're saying, Carl, is very true. You can you can have this deep silence all the time, but at one time it's in the foreground, other time it's in the background. Mm-hmm. For example, um, you know, like here speaking with you, there has not been a single thought going through my head, and this is ordinary for me when I have serious conversations. So. Uh, in the foreground I'm speaking and all this, but I'm not thinking of what am I going to say to this man or anything like that. It's pure receptivity, a silent receptivity. And so it it goes back and forth, foreground, background, and so forth and so on. But it is uh, immensely important to have allow for the unfolding of the silence precisely in order to listen with deep reverence what the other person has to say and transmit to you. Mm-hmm. Very important. Whether the other person is God mm-hmm. in the context of prayer mm-hmm. or really just a sacred. Right. The, the relationship between two human beings. Well, human beings. And, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, 
if this interior silence and interiority develops within oneself, that person is then able to detect in another person this interiority. Because if you don't have that interiority, you're just going to judge, a, or no, not judge, but uh, perceive a person as the outer form, the way a person walks, the way he talks, and history, history of his uh, journey, and so forth and so on. But if you are yourself established in silence, then you are able to pick up the, that in the other person. By the way, it is. Established just reminds me of what, what my guru used to say. Uh, uh, yoga sta kuru karmani, established in the divine, perform action. Where it's just very different in the West. Uh, perform action and then you'll get to God. Mm. And also, uh, my guru said, uh, um, let me think, do less and accomplish more. Do least and accomplish most, do nothing and accomplish everything. And that's the essence of, of uh, contemplative prayer. Yeah, yeah. Very much so. Yeah. It's, I like to say it's a Sabbath prayer because yes. the, the key rest. to it is learning to rest in rest, the divine rest, embrace. Rest, yeah. rest. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I just have two more questions for two. you. Is that all? Uh, yeah, you know, we've, we've been going at it for half an hour already. Oh, I can't so believe that. I know. Time flies when you're having fun. Well, yeah. But, but the, the penultimate question. Uh-oh. Um, in your book, you talk about um, that Jesus' message is a message of radical inclusivity oh. and equality. Yes. And, and I just wonder if you could just briefly comment on that. Uh, I just think that's so important, and it certainly has been a blessing for my faith and maybe for the faith of, of, of uh, the person listening to this podcast as well. But tell us about Jesus' teaching of radical... Basically, that was his basic teaching, radical equality and inclusivity, and that was based on the book of Genesis which started out with everyone being created equal. Mm-hmm. Whether you're in Borneo or Sahara Desert or wherever it might be. But that's very, very important. And he tried so hard to deconstruct the conditioning of his disciples who were raised in the Roman Empire to, to know that we are all equal because notice in the Gospels uh, one disciple would say well let me be first in the kingdom or be on your right side and so forth they they didn't get it and I thought to myself if he couldn't decondition these people how difficult it is for us to help others to decondition but it's only by the power of the spirit but that's so so important so this uh, this paradigm just went from one generation to another and another, but they just didn't get it. Until, for example, when we, uh, fourth century, the Roman emperor declared that Christianity was going to be the religion of the empire. And at that time, he elevated all of the clergy to the status of nobility. This was an incredible, incredible violation of that, of that paradigm. Mm-hmm. 
they had no idea I was. And that's when a group of people who believed the paradigm said, after some time, we can't stay in this culture. It's just not possible. And they began to withdraw into the deserts, deserts of Syria, Palestine, and Egypt. And, uh, but it's so important because if you look at the course of history all the way across, you have uh, blacks are inferior, women are inferior, Jews are inferior, and so forth and so on. And us better than them, I better than you, and so forth. And all of that, all of that must bring tears to Jesus. Many, many tears. Mm -hmm. So, is it is it overstating the case to say that there's even a political dimension to contemplation? in that it, it invites us into that radical silence where we encounter the love of God. Mm -hmm. But that's a love that calls us into that radical equality and inclusivity. And that to truly embrace that means embracing a vision of what it means to be human. Right. A vision where that's right. everyone carries the image and likeness mm -hmm. of God with no exceptions. Exactly. And, 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 and with Christ, we, we all are in the same circle. Absolutely. Christ is the center. Absolutely. And, and, and silence is the means by which we, we access that, that love and that, that wisdom. Well, we live out of the silence. Mm -hmm. you know, out of silence comes. And silence, no beginning in time, no edges in space, infinite immensity, huh. spaciousness. That's what it's all about. So when we go, we talk about going within, it's not just going to this small little place inside vastness. We live and move and have our being. And we're always in that silence that begets kindness and compassion at all times. Hmm. My, my last question, and then I want to talk briefly about the book. The tears of an innocent God before we but my last um, my last kind of question of the questions actually involves a topic that I have become increasingly interested in and the topic is uh, for lack of a better term the mystical imagination mm. and what I want you, what I would like for you to comment on is something that I've heard you teach more than on one occasion and it's something to the extent of that that the subconscious mind does not distinguish between story and, and simple fact and simple fact. Right. That, right. That, that this is the power of myth, mm -hmm. that, that, that we get into, you know, like a mythic story, whether it's, you know, mm -hmm. the Chronicles of Narnia or Tolkien or, or one of the great myths in scripture, whatever it might be. <laughs> but the power of that myth is that it works on us at this subconscious level. Absolutely. Could, could you comment on that a little sure. bit? Okay. Sure. Uh, again, this has been proven to be the case that the unconscious does not know the difference between what is imagined and what is real. Okay. So, uh, the Ignatian way of praying the scriptures, which is the Jesuit way, is to enter into a scene in our imagination and to be there with Christ and listen to him and so forth. And the, what happens is that being with Christ 
registers the unconscious as though we actually were with Christ. Or better, if we can identify ourselves as Christ speaking to the masses, then the unconscious says, yes, I am Christ. You know, that's very, very powerful. It deepens our identity in Christ. Uh, by the same token, we have to be so careful with our imagination, if we imagine ourselves as uh, trash or un unworthy or something like that, then that registers in the unconscious. So it's extremely important to own the beauty and radiance that we are, the yeah. nobility that we are. And and I want to touch on you know I know some some people might might raise their eyebrows at your comments about to recognize that I am Christ. And I think that just from, from a, an Orthodox Catholic or Christian perspective, we are, we are the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And, we, and the, our hearts have been filled with the love of the Holy Spirit. I mean, this language is right in the Bible. It's yeah. not radical language. Right. But it feels like radical language because it so often doesn't get preached from the pulpits. Oh, that's right. you know, we, we've kind of turned religion into, into kind of a moral system. And that's, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to discount morality. Morality has its place. But truly, the heart mm -hmm. of Christian wisdom is this recognition that we are the body of Christ, mm -hmm. we are given the mind of Christ, and so the and then we're called to be Christ in the world, to be right. that that agent of radical inclusivity, radical equality and inclusivity, and so um, so so you're, uh, you mentioned Ignatian spirituality, yeah. so really the it's it's I see it almost as a beautiful kind of like two sides of the same coin that yeah. that you have kind of the radical prayer of silence, like this deep contemplative prayer similar to, mm -hmm. to what, what you encountered at the grotto, right. which takes us beyond images, takes right. us beyond thought, beyond, right. you know, right. and just deep into the silence. But then there's also this, this equally beautiful, it's like a different path up the mountain, this equally beautiful technique of engaging the imagination through scripture, through, through sacred stories or sacred myths, and um, but uh, but I also hear your word of warning that that we need to we need to feed the unconscious a healthy diet with positivity, which is reality. The unreality is to consider ourselves as worthless. That would what? How can you be born in the image and likeness of God and still be worthless? But so many people believe that. <laughs> In the West, so many yeah. people believe that. Yeah, unfortunately. Now, in my book, I'm not marketing my book now. No, I'll do that. But so. yes, he's going to do that. But <laughs> there is a section where I I give an ex an explanation precisely of how transformation takes place. It's uh, fire and the iron and so forth and so on. But it's very very explicit. I didn't come up with it, but. It's right there. Mm. So that's beautiful. Well, and maybe that we can now just turn turn to the book. Uh, the book is called Tears of an Innocent God. In fact, the word silence is in the subtitle. I don't know if I can remember it. It's like conversations, conversations. on silence, kindness, and prayer. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. Did I get it right? Right. No. Very yeah. good. 
And do can you just uh, maybe talk briefly about you know writing the book, what inspired you to do the book, and what uh, what readers can expect when they read the book? Oh, Carl, it it was really the work of the of God and the Spirit that uh, inspired me really to to begin writing all of these different experiences. So it took years, you know to put this book together. And I had this yearning to help other people through this, because here I am, but uh, enclosed, unable to go out in a monastic environment. And uh, I couldn't, except in the guest house, give me retreats, which I'm gonna give a retreat this evening with my dear Carl, and so on. But I wanted so much. So what happened, when, as I was writing it, every time I began to write, I would pause and thank the, thank the Lord for inspiring what, what needs to go in. And there would be intermittent silence in between and just resting in God. Okay, what do you want now for me to say? And just over and over there would be the silence and writing, listening, and so forth. And what I tried to do was, again, according to Tolle or Eckhart model, to eliminate all unnecessary words. So I would drop this, I would drop that. So that it would just be pure, simple, crystal clear. Uh, a friend of mine told me once when I was trying to write poetry, she said, you have to write all pearls and no sand. Hmm. So that meant all the sand was but unnecessary, unnecessary, and just simply state the truth and the reality. And so that's been, that went very much into writing the book, and uh, I just am grateful to the Lord for allowing me to do this. And the book consists of just a series of really uh, vignettes, yeah. stories, mm -hmm. stories from your life, stories from, from folklore or the lives mm -hmm. of the saints or, or, or you know, stories that people have told you over the years. Mm -hmm. And then it's what, six different sections at the end of each section you offer an invitation into a practice. Right, as I give well. practices. Mm -hmm. Because I believe so firmly that theory and practice have to go together in the spiritual life. Theory enhances practice and practice enhances theory. Uh, that's a, generally the norm that I go by in teaching the young people who enter the monastery. Um, so they, you have to have a practice and all of you, you're very welcome to look at that. But otherwise just find a practice. And that's extremely important and stick with it. Uh, begin with a practice at the beginning of a week and say, okay, I commit myself to this practice for your sake, Lord Jesus, and what you're gonna bring into me in, a, in order to transmit out what you brought to me. And at the end of the week, I will say, do I wanna continue the practice or not? Because if you just say, okay, I'm gonna practice, believe me, TV is gonna go on and you're gonna read looking at Trump and all the rest of the things, you know. So it's very easy to be, be distracted away from practice. So there has to be a certain commitment. But a commitment that is 
easy and natural. Okay, it's just like natural. Okay, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. I want to thank you so much for taking this time and for being willing to share your story and, and your, your thoughts and your wisdom and your insight. And you're certainly an inspiration to me. Um, I, yeah, I'm happy to do the marketing for the book. Uh, <laughs> Tears of an Innocent God is, is simply a must read. I think, I, I think it's a contemporary contemplative classic. And so, um, so I would encourage, encourage anyone listening to Encountering Silence to, um, to put that book on their reading list if they haven't already done so. Well, thank you, so, girl. And I'll say that I'm, you inspire me and always have. And you're a dear, dear friend and brother. And I want to thank you, the audience, for listening to me. I appreciate that very, very deeply. And I send you all of my blessings. God bless you. Goodbye. God bless you, too. Goodbye now. Thank you for listening to the Encountering Silence podcast. If you enjoy our ongoing conversation about the beauty of silence and its meaning in our lives, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or at our website, EncounteringSilence.com. You can subscribe to our email list at our website. Connect with us on social media, on Twitter at Silence Podcast, or on Facebook at Encountering Silence. And please visit www.patreon.com slash encountering silence. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash encountering silence to become a patron of this podcast. Your financial support will allow us to continue creating new episodes and spreading the message of how vital silence is to our social, spiritual, and physical well-being. Thank you.